Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 294th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And I'm joined tonight by two of my favorite fellas. We've got Nathan Ernst at NathanE11. Hello, Nathan. Hey, how's it going? It's going good, man. It's going good. We got a Monday night game, and it's supposed to be a Sunday night game. It's messed up all sorts of plans. Uh... Are you, are you going? Are you are you going to be in attendance at this game? Yeah, I got to figure this out uh, because I always go to at least one game a year, and I am I'm not so far this year. So I don't know how many. You know me. I don't know what days there are, the games are on. I don't know if it's they're true. playing in Brazil or in wherever. Uh, so, but I got to figure this out. I got to get to one at least. Well, I think it's like. This game, and then there's the Steelers game, and that's it. Yeah, the last two home games. Yeah, there's four games left. Two of them are home. Yeah, that that is the voice of wisdom. Our very own Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Jeff, you are not going to be at the game, right? You're not making the cross cross continental trip. No, I did that for one game. They got their ass kicked. I think that's it for me this year. Yeah, yeah. It, I'm in the middle of watching a Armageddon-based movie, um, which is excellent. I'm sure everyone's seen it. Leave the world behind the Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke flick on Netflix. Oh, do you know Sam Esmail? Did you watch Mr. Robot at all? What? No. Are you you're in the tech industry and you haven't watched Mr. Robot? No. Mm -mm. Okay, this is an assignment. You gotta you gotta watch a little Mr. Robot. That is a fantastically written directed acted show anyway same same director number one movie on netflix anyway um my point is it's been a little bit like armageddon for seahawks fans <laughs> for like just you know in armageddon movies or zombie movies there's this this er, they almost all start with a very early uh like climax or peak and like then the world just devolves rapidly into just destruction and like chaos right when do you think that was for the seahawks season the rams game the rams game the rams game before week the 49ers one. like week one <laughs> you can make that argument <laughs> no because they sort of recovered from that they they yeah. went three and one and they beat up on the bad teams 
That Rams game in LA right before this hellish stretch. That I, I tweeted it at the end of the game, like this is the end of the season. And like, you see how big that game is now in this playoff race. That 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 would have basically ended the Rams. And they've kind of free fallen since then. And you know one thing, they're they're definitely not playing well, but they're not boring. There's a lot to talk about there. That's true. That is true. I'm I'm eager to hear what's on your mind there. We'll get into that in a second. Um, Nathan, do you believe that we're just going to continue a plunge into Armageddon, or do you believe that that we've hit bottom and we're going to start to level out and and maybe even climb back up? Uh, I mean, we have we typically do predictions at the uh, end of the show, but I, I'll give a, a spoiler that I do not think they're going to win this week. Okay, so I think there's a little bit deeper to go in this hole. Uh, but I, I do feel good about the last three games. So I do think this team is going to finish strong, uh, but we're not quite there yet. Ah, Jeff, when you said there was so much to talk about, tell me what, what was coming to your mind. Uh, I just listened to KJ Wright on Brock and Salt today. Uh-huh. And I don't want to give like conspiracy theories or some of his takes too much weight, but he had a really interesting view. Nathan tweeted out that clip this week of Pete on Brock and Salk. And he was really, I don't know if you all saw it, but they were asked if the team is still getting the message from Pete. I think Salk asked him that. And Pete was super short with him. Yeah. And me and everyone, we all this the read like he didn't like the question from Salk. And he was pissed at Salk for even implying that. His his response was, ask them. KJ's response was totally different. His view was that Pete is really pissed at the players. And he's lost it with the team as much as it seems like he was mad at the reporter. And Salk was, like, taken back by this. He was stunned. He's like, I can't believe I didn't think of this. And he, he thought, like, like everyone else, he thought he was pissed at him and thought he had every reason to be pissed at him. But it's interesting hearing KJ and the rest of the show a lot of the stuff that we've said, some of the players we've kind of targeted, KJ had the same opinions, and KJ's best friend in the league is on the team. So he's I don't know if he's just spewing takes. KJ didn't seem very fond of Jamal, and he didn't seem very fond of Quandre and Daryl Taylor and Reek. And it was interesting. He, some of the stuff that we've said as fans, it, it was interesting to hear him and Salk kind of single out those guys. And I found that like fascinating because I've been, or I've covered teams that have fired the coach before I've been in, I cover the Buffalo bills when they have fired coaches. If you, if you've watched that Amazon show with the Rams, when they fired Jeff Fisher, there are so many signs of a team that typically fires their coach going on and things are just falling apart. And what KJ said was a lot of the players in the room right now, are way more concerned about themselves than the team. And there were some like Jim Mora 2009 mm -hmm. vibes going on around this team right now with Jamal. I remember when like TJ Hushmanzada and Burleson and Branch used to host that show on the radio and talk shit about the team. There's something like going on right now. And it's just the losing streak and the four games and just the way it's looked and the fight at the end of the game. There's a lot of ugliness around this team right now. <laughs> and again, like this, these are signs of a coach in a typical scenario where ownership's may be different. 
where the coach would be getting fired. All the signs are there. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is pretty well out in the open at this point. I mean, Pete named Reek and Jamal, right? Outright called them out on Salk's show. Uh, I also got, I mean, my read on that Ask Them thing was also that that was, I mean, I'm sure that was a little bit like Pete's gotten that question so many times. Hey, does your rah-rah-ness wear (laughs) off? And I'm sure he hates that, but like, uh that that definitely to me with a response about like you know the players themselves and not the question and so yeah it seems like this is really boiled out into the open um it's it's interesting to like what would happen in a, in a different situation here um you know would pete get a, a chance to clear these guys out can he even do it like if jamal is a problem can he can they cut him they, they can and they'll save a little money but like that's that's rough. That's really rough. And, you know, they're depending on Reek and, and some of these guys. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting situation because, you know, another one of these guys is DK. Um, he's rebounded pretty well since a really awful first game against the Niners. But, like, he clearly is a part of some of the weird vibes, right? I mean, I, I love DK. I've soured on some of the stuff he's done very recently, um, but I've defended him a lot. I don't think there's any way that you can look at him and not say, hey, he is a factor in what seems like a very weird locker room right now. Um, so it's not it's not small guys. It's not small names that, that are causing, that seem to be causing these problems. Uh, and so it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's, as you guys are talking, I was kind of thinking, I, I don't know that I see all the telltale signs of, a coach getting fired the way you're talking about Jeff. I think I, I, I can understand what you're saying, but there are some interesting indicators from the other side of it, which is if you're John and Pete and you know that you're, you're basically, you're not planning to stick around. Like you basically had one more go. Like that was whether or not your people wanted to keep you, you were just going to like go all in. There are some signs of that. Um, the, the, the Jamal, restructure almost is a perfect example of that to where now let's say you want to cut Jamal Quandre Will Disley like some of these pretty large contracts and you're going to eat a lot of dead money to do that um a GM that is trying to you know set themselves up for a consistent championship run doesn't usually set their cap up in a way that they're that strangled but if they're like screw it i'm gonna jump ship anyway if this doesn't work out then <laughs> it's the next i'm gonna leave the bag for the next guy it is pretty typical that the new you know a new coming you know a, a new regime comes in and they inherit a pile of shit right that's usually why someone gets fired in the first place but then you get to say okay we're gonna it's gonna be three years owner we got to dig out of this cap nightmare that the previous people screwed us with and give us a little time so I, there are some of those signs to where they're not making decisions that seem to be sustainable cap decisions. Um, they seem like there's a lot of short-term contracts uh, thinking going on there. I think the other thing that maybe like takes like takes the heat off of Pete here um, to your point of like you know is this the type of environment that you know, you typically see a coach getting fired. Some of the 
players seem to also not like some of the other players. Like Quandre Diggs is like whatever you think of where Quandre is in his career right now. Um, you know, uh, he had some pretty tough words for what felt like other players on the team and their attention to detail and things. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe it is a last hurrah situation uh, with how they're managing the cab, how they've, you know, trading for Williams and these different things. Um, but if they are thinking about coming back, um, if that's not the situation, you know, I think what might save them from getting fired is guys like Bobby and Quandre and some of these other players that are, that seem pretty sick of, whatever some of these other guys are doing someone's at your door nathan it's my dog he needs to go to the bathroom i oh, mean i got i got uh, this dog we got a new dog she's amazing but oh my gosh the situation's tough anyways seahawks go ahead yeah jeff uh so one of the things that kj said is that every good team he was on and a lot of his most of those were seahawks he was he went to the other way saw a really real ugly Raiders season where john Gruden got fired he said every team he was on had four clear locker room leaders. He said there was always four guys in the locker room. So Salt said, okay, who are the four? He said, there, there's no four guys on this team. And he, so Salt starts going through names. Okay, Bobby's like, yeah, Bobby's one. He says, Quandre. He gives them this look and pauses. And they said, okay, he's a captain. He pauses. They said, what about Gino? Doesn't say a word. Kind of rolls his eyes. Jaron Reed was the other guy, he said. He said two, maybe three. And again, this is just KJ talking. I don't, we've KJ, we've, we don't want to cover some of the things he said in the past, Tender Thompson. But um, he implied that you saw what happened with Jackson Smith and Jigba this week. He sort of lost it a little bit. He said, that, who's the leader of that room? It's, it's DK. Who's the leader of Devin Witherspoon right now? He hasn't gone off the rails, but it's Quandre, it's Jamal. He said part of the things that good teams have is guys that set the standard. He said, like Bobby and Jordan Brooks, like you see a pattern. And he just talked about all the things there right now. And then he said they don't have the leaders in the locker room there sharing Pete's message. He said there's Bobby, there's Jaron, but there's issues in that locker room. And he was implying that there's players just more concerned about themselves than Number one rule of the team, protect the team. And you saw that fight and the lasting image of that game. And again, I, I read it very differently. That fight didn't bother me as much as it did so many other people. I see more decisions they made in the draft. And you want to be a physical team, but you drafted running backs and edge players over, like, what was our take after the day two of the draft? It's coming back badly during the stretch. They didn't address the trenches. So, that's what I see as the issues with Pete and the team. But it's 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 fascinating. I mean, <laughs> we've watched enough football, seen enough of these seasons. Where to me, it's a lot more simple than all this. It, it is losing leads to a lot of bullshit. Like you know, and and even simpler than that, talent leads to good coaching leads to winning lack of talent leads to bad coaching leads to losing and i kind of call bullshit on and first of all kj i know everyone loves him kj's been so wrong about so many things 
And this is a guy that a few weeks ago was talking about how talking up Quandre Diggs and how they need to use him differently on third down and bring him into the box and let him make plays. And he was all about how Quandre, like whatever. KJ played on a team that was immensely talented in Seattle and had a lot of alphas. And a lot of them like have not proven to be necessarily like the guys you want leading a locker room. So I'm not sure I totally buy like when you're really good and you do your job really well and you, and you actually are a professional that I, I do buy. Like there is a difference between somebody who's in there studying film, who knows all the details knows, like takes their job very seriously but there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of backup quarterbacks that study a hell of a lot of film and aren't very good. So I don't know. I I find myself not I, I almost have zero antipathy for Pete Carroll. Like I'm not upset with Pete Carroll. I, I don't think that he should remain the coach. It is not an emotional decision. It's not like screw this guy. It's not an ageist decision. Like he's too old. It's none of that. And, and by the way, I say those two things because there are people like on our podcast that are that way in my mind. They've been that way for years. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not a group set up to grow and to win. And it's like this version of the build of the Jenga tower is just not going to reach the height that it needs to reach. So and I don't think continuing to do the same freaking thing for 15 years or 20 years, like at some point you got to mix up the foundation that you're building the, the tower on. And, and I think that's honestly like, that's just simply how I see it. I, I, I think it could very well be that they get a worse coach. I think it could very well be that they get a worse GM if they choose to do that. Uh, I think it's time. I just think it's time to 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 get a fresh a fresh go of it. And my preference is still to change at the GM position, but Pete is making that argument harder every week. Like mm. he is advocating against himself so much every week, from talking about not having the team ready uh, to play certain weeks. This week, he's talking about how you know they're just not playing right and like. You know, he's saying, hey, we're coaching them on the right stuff. But, like, what he's basically saying is, is like, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing out there, which is a player problem, obviously. But at some point, like, as a coach, your job is to get them to do the things that they're supposed to do out there. Um, and so, like, uh, yeah, I, I really think that this win-now thing that they constantly do is a John thing um maybe it's it's more influenced by pete um you know it's always hard to say who's who's really driving the ship sometimes you know john's executing but like how much of this is john thinking this is the way that you build a team and how much of it is pete being like i'm 70 years old i i need leonard williams now right um but uh yeah yeah i i would love for pete to stop uh basically going out and saying the coaching sucks every week. Uh, so I don't look so bad for saying John's the one that needs to go. And the thing I struggle with so much, and it's been an issue for me for seven, eight years now. And it's, I mentioned it earlier. It's very clear how Pete and John want to play. When they came, they talked about the Steelers and the Ravens 
And the first iteration of this team was built in that fashion. And you look back at these drafts, and this is why I'm with you, Nathan. I'm totally with you. They spent the last two second rounds drafting edge players. They spent the last two second rounds drafting running backs. That is not how you build a tough team. When you watch them play against these upper echelon teams, the one constant theme that's jumped out to me, this is not a physical team. This is more of a finesse team. If you want to be the Steelers and the Ravens, you draft Keanu Benton. You draft Cody Mouch. Do you draft Jack? I love Jackson Smith and Jigba when I made that pick. But if you want to be this physical run team, you mm-hmm. draft a third receiver that's small. It seems like they don't know who they are. And it seems like year after year, they talk about how they want to play, but their personnel doesn't dictate. And the Leonard Williams trade fits that, but they had to overpay for a rental. And they're constantly building out of these holes. And if you want to be a physical team, Brian, you've talked about the infamous pick in your article this week, D. Eskridge over Creed Humphrey. And it's now year after year, and you see this pattern. They have drafted a lot of talent, but their roster is not built to play the way they want to play. And that reflects everything to me about the coach and the GM because you see teams that are winning, and it's not like running the ball and playing defense isn't working. That's working. That's how Kyle Shanahan and McVay build their teams off the run. And since those two guys have come in the division, they've kind of lost who they are. And Russ really helped them in those peak years. But now that they don't have them and they have talent, but their talent is at receiver, it's at corner, it's not in the positions you are built to play. And that's where, to me, they're lost. And their cap is all on their safety. safety. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, when I was writing, when I was writing that morning after article this week, and I knew I got the reaction I expected from a lot of people, um, which was like, ah, overreaction. And a lot of people subtweeting me about, you know, just lost to the best team by, you know, 12 points and almost beat whatever, like all this other stuff. I'm not. I'm not that stupid. I write those things the day after because I want to not be emotional. I wasn't emotional during the 49ers game. I wasn't emotional during the Cowboys game. <laughs> like I've been emotional about the Seahawks for a few weeks because there's nothing been on the line. I wasn't an emotional when they lost to the Bengals. I was like kind of excited when they lost to the Bengals because I liked the way the defense played back then. Um, so none of this is about me. Like I don't care that much about this season. I never have cared that much about this season. But if you look back, like it, all the way through the very beginning of Pete and John's time here, they have not valued the interior part of either the offensive or defensive line. They have made some, they've made some, they've been able to be successful on the defensive side sometimes by paying these low price veterans, the Tony McDaniels, the, Colin Coles, the Ataba Rubens, the, you know, you know, like they've had a streak of guy like uh, Al Woods, right? Like they've done that. And I, I, I get that. That's very different than dra- putting draft capital into players that can turn into Chris Jones or can turn into Fletcher Cox or can turn into, you know, as much as like Earl Thomas, I wouldn't trade Earl Thomas for anything like, Maybe it wasn't that year. Maybe it was the Bruce Irvin year. There's some year where they could have drafted Fletcher Cox. Bruce Irvin. I was, right, right? And they traded out of the pick. Yeah. But they, they go for an edge. 
And they, the last two years, we call talk all about the running back picks in the second round. They've taken two edge players. Derek Hall is an absolute travesty this year. Like he's nothing as a player. That's my read of Derek Hall. I've seen nothing of interest from him since the very first preseason game where I saw one play of interest from him. And so I just don't like they traded away Max Unger for for Jimmy Graham. They I mean like they let Jari Evans go, um, who had multiple good years left at guard. Like they just haven't played there. And I think that that is massively important. If you want to be a team that is going to be a run running team, a physical team, stop the run, create disruption. And they just haven't invested. So like I I'm, I'm certainly tired of that philosophy and at this point you have to believe it's a philosophy because there's there's nothing that you do for 13 years that isn't a philosophy the same way that never drafting a quarterback despite the say that they should draft one every year that's a philosophy they've drafted two quarterbacks in 13 drafts 14 drafts so it's just it's time it's time it's time it's time i i I actually start seeing some college coaches, and, and granted, I don't watch a lot of college college football, but I would be happy to have a Dan Lanning um, uh, uh, be a coach of the Seahawks. Uh, I would be happy to have uh, DeBoer. I don't think he's he's. I don't think either of them are going anywhere. I would be happy to have a Ryan Grubb as the OC, the guy that Alabama was going to pay a ton of money, and he decided to stay with Washington for a year. I don't care if it's college and they do random shit that won't work in the NFL. Fine. Let's start throwing some shit against the wall. Let's see what happens. That's where I am. Throw throw out the whole deck. Let's get a new deck of cards and let's see what happens. You forgot somebody from the college ranks. Who? Oh, don't you say Jim Harbaugh, you and your buddy, Evan. Even when your dog's working, you're still trolling. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> Uh, so it says Urban Meyer in the chat. No, I don't think that would be a particularly good idea. <laughs> that's that's good. Um, I, I'm curious. Do you guys have any coaches? If 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 this all comes to pass, are there coaches that you have or like that'd be top top choice for me? It could be college, could be pros, and it has to be realistic. Don't say like you know I want Bill Mike McDaniel. He's not coming, <laughs> huh? Bill Belichick. Do you want Bill Belichick? He might be available. Uh, he absolutely could be available. Do you I want him? Be available. I don't. This is. Uh, is it insane to say I don't think so? No. That's Seven not on my mind. I want. I want something new and different. Uh, the name I like is uh, Ben Johnson with the Lions. Mm. Uh, the one thing I have become. I know something like the Colin Coward and the talking heads are like, you need an offensive head coach. I'm sort of there. I'm sort of there. I know Nathan and Evan have been saying that. Derek's been saying that. And just this year we've seen so much quarterback injury. And the teams that look stable week after week are a lot of these offensive coaches, which seem to be really good on details. That's a little different than how Pete operates. Uh, Pete's more the CEO type. The, the offensive play calling head coaches, like you look at what Zach Taylor's done with Jake Browning. You look at what Brian Dable's done with fucking Tommy DeVito. And these guys, their arm, like Drew Locke was fine this week, 
he looked like a functional quarterback. But these offensive teams, Shane Steichen with Gardner Minshew, these teams look really detailed and really organized. And the Seahawks need to draft a quarterback. Even if you want to bring back Geno Smith, they need to draft a quarterback. I want an offensive play caller that's going to be tied with the quarterbacks. We're not in this constant search for OCs like all these other teams right now. It's kind of a tough year because there's not a lot of emerging OCs around the league because all of them have been snapped up the last couple of years. There's Ben Johnson in Detroit. There's Eric Bieniemy who's kind of got a checkered past. He's done a good job with Sam Howell, um, some of the other guys. But to me, that's really, really important for the next phase of this team. I know people have pushed Dan Quinn. I am not so sold on that. I, want, I don't want to be in this constant. You saw what happened to Quinn once he lost Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. I don't want to be in that search like where we're trying to find Shane Waldron every year. Um, I want to have one of those guys. Because this is the thing. The other thing that kind of makes me think maybe hold on to Pete a little bit because anytime you fire somebody, you got to say for who, and, and that's a fair thing for me saying I want to get rid of Schneider too. And I, I don't have an answer there either, but um, it doesn't feel like there's like a, a crop of coaching talent out there that you want to go pluck from. Um you know, like Dan Lanning, okay, uh, but you know, not an offensive guy, right? He's he was defense. Um, you know, some of the the hot names in college coaching, like Lincoln Riley, like the shine's way off there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, um, crap. Uh, the uh, Miami quarterback that was the OC for the Buffalo Bills, Ken Dorsey. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I don't. I don't remember names anymore. I just remember oh, his career. Uh, or uh, the Boise State quarterback, uh, OC for the Ellen, Ellen Moore. Yeah, he's had a rough year. Yeah, like so all these guys that like a year or two ago would have been like, ooh, that's interesting, are now kind of like, yeah, I could do with that. Well, you know what? I mean, part of this is the state of the NFL. Like almost every team is shitty or mediocre at best. Almost yeah. every quarterback is shitty or mediocre at best. Almost every offensive line is shitty or mediocre at best. And guess what? That makes coaches not look so good. And I don't know. I, I guess I would ask, like, who are the great coaches in the NFL right now? I think Andy Reid, your boy, uh, would get a lot of nods for good reason. I think he also has had otherworldly talent, which makes coaching look pretty good. Kyle Shanahan, we talk a lot about, has never won a Super Bowl. He's been there a couple times. He's actually like actively participated in losing Super Bowls multiple times. And I, I lost a lot of respect for him with the story that came out this week about the DK stuff. It is a perfect example of he is an offensive genius. He is not the CEO. Like he is not the Pete Carroll who sets sets a culture that I think like is a is a culture you want to have i mean for people that don't know the story came out that he was showing everyone tape of dk losing his his mind on various things and, and getting penalties and that he was gonna like buy something for whoever was able to get him to lose his his cool in the game i'm just like Pete carroll would never he would never. No, he wouldn't. He would never waste time on something like that. And he would never. This is the dude that's out there rolling out like uh, uh, Breno Giacomini, who is amazing at always well, being the guy to get someone to retaliate and get flat. Like, I don't think that's. A, I don't think that's a character. Like, let's not pretend, Grandpa Pete, Mister Nice Guy, 
Like that dude has nasty in him for sure. He does. I, I think it's different. I, I think this is like that's something like that I would do. Like it, it, it's just like it, it's, it's like a it's a shitty douchey thing to be like. I'm so cocky about our team and that I'm going to just try to like provoke this player. Great coaches to me are above that. They're all about what it's what's involved with winning the game. Andy Reid's not going to friggin' do that. I don't see Andy Reid doing that. I don't even know if I see Bill Belichick doing that. Like they're they're focused on plays that are going to be run. They're focused on whether people are giving effort. They're focused on a lot of other things. And so I don't know. Sean McVay, pretty famously, well, I can't share all the details, but I will say I've heard some inside information about that being a clown car of a, a locker room and, or, and like the way that that place is run, they've had immense talent to help them out. But like a lot of the great coaches, I don't know if they're really, if they'd be able to repeat that in other places and if they'd be as great. And Sean McVay, as much talent as he had, as good of a ge- offensive genius as he has, he won one Super Bowl and he lucked out remarkably to not have to face Kansas City or Buffalo that year. Like, I think either one of those teams would have beat that Rams team. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think I agree with you, Nathan. That's a long way of saying I agree. I don't think there's like some great coach. Um, no, it's a tough year. Yeah. Houston, the Houston guy is one of the other San Francisco guys, but we've seen what happened the last time the Seahawks pulled from that tree. It yeah. Goes so I'd be, I'd be fine with Dan Quinn. I just, I just don't know that that's, I mean, He's as good as anybody else. Um, I do. I've been waiting on the super chat for a while. Let me get this out. Video game sports. Thank you. By the way, if you haven't given the show a like, please give the show a like. It just takes a second. Go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and sign up. Get access to Slack channel. You can ask us questions. Nathan's going to pull up some, some Slack questions for us just in a minute. Video game sports says on super chat. Earlier today, I was playing Madden on my phone. I tried to return a kick, but the ball hit DJ Dallas's head and went out, <laughs> out of the back of the end zone for safety. <laughs> This game could not be more real. Thank you for that laugh, Video Game Sports. I appreciate the sentiment and feels very accurate. I'm very disturbed by the fact that DJ Dallas is has having a very good season statistically, returning punts and kickoffs. And yet he looks so slow. Like he looks so slow. And so what's the opposite of dynamic? static but like that's not the right word but like he's the least most least interesting punt returner since like brian walters or freddie swain or like why can't we have a joey galloway why can't we have a tyler lockett like i of course it doesn't really matter because we don't stop teams enough to get punted to but we do get kickoffs like they score on us a lot so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up an old grudge. Do you remember like four years ago where DJ, when DJ Dallas had like a mildly interesting preseason and everyone was going nuts about how good he was? And I was like, I don't think this guy's that good. Like he's fine, but people were like, Oh, he's so electric in year two. He looks amazing on kick returns. And I'm like, he's got like just miles of I got yelled at so much. And yeah, now he's now everyone's like. Why, why can't Seattle have a good punt returner? We haven't had a dynamic punt returner. In- Nathan, I don't know if I could let you get away with that. Anytime everyone's saying one thing, you're always going to be saying the other thing. That's, That's well, true. okay. But I was right about this one. So- Take a picture line. 
all right. Let's let's get into some patron questions. Nathan, what do we got? Um we've I mean we talked about this a lot, but I think it's kind of an interesting question from Mark Zuck. Um Brian, what is different about this losing streak compared to past three lost streaks, right? We're at four now, but um uh he, and he asked you know hey why is pete's reaction so different um and then kind of what we were talking about like losing the locker room is that something that's happening but i'm, I'm kind of curious like this isn't the first time this team has lost a couple games in a row or had uh look that was a <laughs> joke you forget it <laughs> years later all of the context of that is just gone and now Man, I think you thought he's be better than DK, didn't you? Is that is that right? Am I it was a joke. <laughs> a joke. I was down on DK. I never bought that. Um, uh, sorry, I anyway. listened to your whole question. Uh, wants to know, like, this team has had hard stretches before. Um, yeah, but what is different about this? I don't think there's. I, I I appreciate the question. I, I challenge the premise. I don't think there is something different. I, I think that's the point is that there's not something different. We've been here pretty much in neutral for many years where the team has is good enough to be interesting, not good enough to be dangerous. Uh, when they face elite competition, it's not necessarily a competitive game. Maybe the, the the joke is the Seahawks lose one of two games a year that they should have never lost. They win one game a year that they should have never won, and then they don't do anything in the playoffs. And so, my spoiler alert is: I think there's actually a decent chance. Maybe I'll look totally foolish. I think there's a decent chance the Seahawks are going to win out. They're going to win the next four. They'll finish ten and seven, which doesn't look that bad. They'll make the playoffs. Nothing interesting will happen, and and we'll be right back to where we always friggin' are. If they lose to the Niners six times in two years, if they end up matching up with them, okay. okay I mean, here's, here's the other part of Mark's question: Is why is Pete's reaction so different? Do you also not like believe that's a fair premise, or like what is it from the team that feels so bad right now? I I do agree that there's some difference there, and my interpretation is that. Pete has lost his his patience with the same players making the same mistakes. Reek Woolen's a great example of someone who has obviously top shelf talent. There does not seem to be any indication that he has top shelf preparation or attention to detail. And so it has to be maddening when he jumps <laughs> when he jumps a play action pass when he has deep third responsibility on a third and 11 or third and 13 or whatever, like as a coach, make a tackle to save his life. Anyways, what do you think he's going to do? <laughs> make an ass of himself up there like, as a coach. That would be exasperating. And I, and he, this is the time he is pointing it out, but you have to understand that's happened probably time and time <clears> and time again. Sometimes that he gets away with it. So, and then you've got guys like Jamal also like making bad decisions. So I, I think, I think Pete is frustrated because I think the different the the difference between what he thought was going to happen this year and with this team versus what he's getting is probably greater than it's been in past years. Yeah. And so I think that's what is probably leading to some more frustration for Pete. 
Jeff, uh, Kristen Fonte wants to know, uh, do you think a retired vet that's fed up like KJ could go in and help the defense get with the program? Um, I don't think KJ, let's, let's not think about KJ too specifically, because I think we all have opinions about KJ. Uh, but I think, you know, Dana and somebody else was talking in the group chat, like, hey, this would never happen. And why? It's, it's like, <laughs> asshole. We're trying to do Patreon questions. These people pay good money. Uh, I just wanted to laugh again. Thank you. Go on. Uh, talking about Bruce and how this wouldn't, wouldn't happen if Bruce was around. Um, do you think uh, veteran leadership would help this locker room? Uh, I know some, some people think so, but Bobby's there. That's what uh, I was going to say. <laughs> Bobby's there. Uh, there's no better leader than him. Uh, I know they brought Frank Clark in uh, when – <laughs> you know, I don't know what kind of leader he is. He's being sent home. Uh, oh, you're in a rough spot if Frank Clark is the leader you're I trying know, to bring in. No, I don't think it's leadership. I know some people are saying that. I think there's issues with the individual players they have. And I think it's issues with some of the players and how they process information. I think that's why Pete's so pissed off. But there's no better leader than Bobby Wagner. There's no one who commands more respect, who's been through the best, and he's seen Sean McVay, and he's seen all this. If bringing in KJ or Bruce is going to help you, then I think there's issues of physical errors, like the edge right now. I think they're physically limited to the point where they have one side that's just a complete zero, and Daryl Taylor is a total disaster when teams are just blocking him out with wide receivers. I don't think bringing in leadership is going to help that, and Jamal looks like he's running in quicksand and it's brutal. Like uh, there's a point where you have to consider shutting him down. In my opinion, Um, uh, Tariq Woolen is they're all picking up assignment errors. I don't think that's Pete. I think that's some players and a lot of it is the coaching. And I don't think bringing in these veterans is what's going to help this team. I think they have to get different players and probably different coaches. That's uh, so we have three questions here um, that are all kind of along the same lines. Um, Mark Zuck has another question saying the defense is going to have a much bigger turnover and need a bigger reset than the offense. What do you think about going all in on offense next year in terms of talent acquisition with a new OC? Um, Ian can asks, how do you feel about coach Andy Dickerson? Um, Would you like him to be on the staff next year? Uh, and then has no clue. Asks, do you think any success the rest of the season could mitigate any offseason changes? Um, I assume he means in terms of like coaching staff. So I, I guess you know we talked about getting rid of Pete. So Brian, I guess I know where you stand in terms of like what to do with his coaching staff. I think would you say it's fair that you just want a clean house at this point? Yeah, I think I think generally that's the case. And part of it is a little bit what you were bringing up or what was being said is the level of roster and cap flushing that you need to do would be pretty hard to do without saying, okay, we're actually starting over. Um, like it's, it would be hard for, for the... The, the people that made those decisions to go to the owner and be like, okay, here's the amount of dead cap we want you to take on and pay people to not play for you. Um, that's usually a tough to do. It's a tough sell. So that's part of it. Um, 
And then, I don't know. I, I don't know if I agree with the notion that it's, it's more of a reset on offense than on defense. Um, I, I think it, it really is just going to depend on, I'll, I'll say it differently. I'll answer one of the questions in there. So, I'm a very weird mindset with this team right now where as bad as they are and as much as I think they need to flush everything, I also, I only think there's only one team in the NFC that they couldn't beat. And that's the 49ers. And even then, I think there was a case of Gino had played last week and there's a version of the defense they played that could have been at least seven points better than it was. Maybe in like it's 10 out of, 100 games that they could beat them but they should have beat dallas in dallas they really should have yeah i think they can be we're gonna see i think they can beat philly so who else i they already beat the lions and i know it was a while ago i think they could beat the lions if they needed to who's the other team in the nfc that they can't beat the Rams. <laughs> fair i think this version of that offense would have beaten the rams yeah so like there's there is a massive bizarro ending to this season where the Seahawks get ten and seven, make it in the playoffs, and win like two games. Make it to the end. It's like it's possible. It's fuck. Like, I'm not saying it's likely, but that's just that's how bad I think the NFC is in general. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I was playing around with the playoff machine and. Uh, the one that kept coming up was them playing the Lions in the first round. I'm like, oh, we can do that. We've seen them do that. So, um, uh, but kind of, uh, so still on this question or these questions, Jeff, assuming that they bring Pete back, um, which coaches do you have a strong either affinity for that you really want back? You know, is, is Andy Dickerson someone you really want back? Um, or which coaches are you really anxious to uh, say goodbye to? Um, I do like Andy Dickerson, but he is like Shane Waldron's guy. Was, I can't imagine them keeping one without the other, but I know everyone points to the offensive line, the pass protection. I think all that's a lot more personnel than coaching. I think Andy's done a pretty good job at mismatching guys and developing. And I don't think they have good enough interior players. And I think that's not a coaching. I think that's personnel. Uh, defensively, I think he can't justify keeping Clinton. And we never know how much is Pete, but they were a lot better with a lot less with Ken Norton Jr. And you all knew how we felt about Ken Norton Jr. And you look at that 2019 roster and the 2020, where they had stretches where they were pretty good. This team's got way more talent. And to be the 27th ranked defense in DVOA, that's unacceptable. And the fact that we started to see it and then they just completely tanked with basically the same team other than losing Chenna, it's just there's no reason to keep him and. Waldron, I think, has some talent, and I guess we'll see how these next four games go, but I don't see enough consistency. I don't see enough of ways of – we see so much of what we saw in that San Francisco game. That first drive, the scripted plays, it looks great. It's smart. It's clever. The touchdown to Parkinson last game, it's smart and clever. And then there's the rest of the game where they go dead silent. They're conservative. They're stupid on second down. And I, I just can't live with that. I don't think they're utilizing their players. DK doesn't get another catch after that touchdown. You watch some of these teams around the league, and they don't have this kind of trouble utilizing their players. And so 
I can't keep riding with Waldron when they're just – unless they look like that Dallas team over the next four weeks, and you saw what Dallas did to Philly. They had six points. And so Seattle should have – by all indications, if Tyler catches that ball or Charles Cross blocks at Demarcus Lawrence, they have – I was watching a play that cut up of that play today. That should have been a touchdown if they blocked them, actually. Charbonnet would have scored. So um, they should have had 40 points on Dallas. So if they we see that, maybe I'll change my tune. But the the, the patterns and the consistency from Walter, and I, I don't think there's enough to, for me to want to keep him. Uh, Griff, uh, C-Max spin move on Twitter, Seattle Overload Podcast, uh, had some really good tweets <laughs> on the scripting thing today where oh, yeah. um, when – it, so in the first 20 players or whatever of the game, the Seahawks offense is very good on early downs and on third down. And then the remaining plays of the game, the second, third, fourth quarter, basically, they remain very good on first and second down and their third downs, they just disappear. They're, they're terrible. Um, and so it's a really interesting thing that points to scripting being something that's real. <laughs> And uh, but also like it's a weird problem that like all of a sudden it would just fall apart on third down. Um, Brian, is there anything like is there anything that happens short of like making a Super Bowl that changes your opinion on uh, what to do with Pete, what to do with this coaching stuff? Um, I think the thing that I've said a couple times it still is true and part of the reason i was so bummed that gino got hurt in a friggin random practice thing was i loved what i loved love love what i saw on offense in dallas i loved the way gino did it i thought it was elite level quarterback play and i thought that the receivers looked like they were getting maximized where they're finding ways to layer in the tight ends so if I think I actually do believe the Seahawks offense would have looked more similar to that if Gino played against the 49ers. I don't know that I don't think they would put up 35, but I think they would have scored over 25. I, I do. I, I think I think that offense would have scored more. And I think there was more points to get in that game than what we saw. And so if we see that come together over the last few games, and then they get into the playoffs and it continues then that would be stupid to say like, oh, they lost. We were pissed about it. And now you just need to fire everybody. But short of <laughs> people listening, do not notice that that Nathan has his dog in his lap uh, and uh, it is covering his entire face, which is uh, a welcome respite for those who are watching the pod. Um, but anyway, you would have to establish what was needed going into this season, which is that you have some foundation to build on going into next year. And that you can say, okay, we got this. Now we can work on this. We thought this year it was, we've got all these. We need to st have a good run defense. <laughs> then we have a good run defense and everything else falls to shit. So I think you need to believe you got something on offense. That's the one saving grace for me um, that could happen this season. Last Patreon question is from Ryan. Wants to know if we can get the Patreon question prompt up the day before. And yes, Ryan, we will We will get better about that. We'll get them up earlier for you. And that's it. Yes. Thank you for that. Patreon.com slash HawkBlogger. You too can get questions answered by us. If you're very 
quick to get on there right before the show when we post the thread. Uh, but no, honestly, given Trey crap, he's usually great about it. He's got a lot going on. He does this all as a volunteer and for maybe the occasional Seahawks jersey. But uh, appreciate you. Give the show a like and click subscribe if you haven't already. Appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about this game. Let's talk about the Eagles. Um, Jeff, you've you've had a lot uh, of time to look at this Eagles team. Um, what do you make of them? Um, so I bet on them initially to win the Super Bowl, and I've been watching. I have had this bet where every time they win, I get a certain amount of money, and if they win, they get it. So I've watched every one of their games this year when they're not playing the Seahawks set. And they've had a strange season because on paper – they're just completely loaded. They have the best offensive line in the league. Their defensive line, which was already great, added Jalen Carter. It's something that should have never happened in the draft. And Jalen Hurts is back. A.J. Brown's back. By all indications, they should be up there with San Francisco. And But all year, something has looked off. And even though they they were basically winning every game, I think they were 10-1 and one to start the season, almost every week – for three quarters, they would be kind of all over the place and they'd be struggling on offense or struggling on defense. And then in the fourth quarter, they completely changed and they would win every short yardage rep and they would find a way to win and their offense would just wake up. They did it to Washington twice. Where they were losing to the commanders. The commanders right now have the fourth pick in the draft. And all of a sudden their offense wakes up and they pull a game away. They played Kansas City and Buffalo and they looked like crap for three quarters. And they find a way to win. They're so good at that short yardage, tush-push stuff. And they're so good when Jalen Hurts can get the ball. A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith is so good. And then Dallas Goddard went out and they were still okay. And then what happened is they 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 played the Dallas and they played San Francisco. And they ran them out of the gym. And they got big leads. And to be fair, Jalen Hurts is banged up. But – when they got that big lead, their, their game of being resilient in the fourth quarter just didn't work. And they've had some personnel issues. Howie Roseman doesn't invest in linebacker, and they don't really invest in safeties. So they, they had to trade for Kevin Byard from Tennessee, and they tr- signed uh, Darius Leonard. I think he goes by Shaq Leonard now, who's like the Jamal Adams. He's got enough. He's like coming off injury. He can't really run anymore. And they give up a ton of big plays. Their defensive numbers, and Brian wrote about this today, are worse than the Seahawks in a lot of areas. It's so crazy. It's How crazy is that possible? Defensive line with Jalen Carter because they have a very familiar scheme that they run. If you remember the Seahawks scheme from last year, Sean Desai is their defensive coordinator. And Griff and Maddie, a lot of those guys, noticed from watching the film last year that a lot of the stuff the Seahawks were running – was the stuff that Desai ran in Chicago when Vic Fangio left. It wasn't the traditional Fangio stuff. It was a lot of those Desai schemes. So those two were very interested to see what the fronts were going to look like. And they did look a lot more tight in the preseason, and they did a really good job with that. And then we've seen the same trends from the Seahawks last year carry over to Philly, which is crazy. They got Jalen Carter, Fletcher Cox, Hassan Reddick has 11 sacks. They should be a really good defense. And you saw what Washington did to them. You saw what San Francisco and Dallas did to them. They're leaky on defense. So if they can't get in that fourth quarter where they can 
take the game away, they're in shootouts very often, and it's been crazy. All right, I've got a question before Nathan. Before we go to you about this, the Eagles. This is a question about the most important part of this game, which is the implications for defensive rookie of the year. I'm going to ask you both questions about Jalen Carter and Devin Witherspoon and their PFF grades. Who has one of them has a 77.7 coverage grade, one has a 68.4. Who's who? I'm going to I'm going to take the bait and say Spoon has the 777. You are correct. Devin Witherspoon has the better coverage grade. One of them has a 91.4 coverage grade or just overall coverage grade. Coverage grade. Okay, but Jalen Carter has a coverage grade of 68. He has a 68.4 coverage grade on zero zero coverage snaps. So I don't know exactly know how he has that grade, okay. but that's what it says. I feel like it's an unfair comparison here, but go on. Uh, okay, one of them has a 91.4 pass rush grade. The other has an 84.1. Well, clearly Spoon has 91 point whatever. This is correct. On 27 wow. pass rush snaps, he has the higher pass rush grade by far. One of them has a 66.1 tackling grade. One of them has a 51.8. Spoon. It's got to be Spoon all the way. Spoon has a higher tackling grade. Jalen Carter has an awful tackling grade. Okay. One of them has a 59.9 run defense grade. The other has an 82.8. Spoon. Let's say Spoon. Spoon has a much higher run defense grade. One of them has an 83.8 overall grade. The other one has an 83.3. Wait, what were the scores again? 83.8 and 83.3. I feel like you haven't given me a single score that was like less than 10 points different. (laughs) I I love PFF grades. This is good. Uh, Jalen Carter has a higher PFF score. He does. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nathan Nathan got every one of those right for the record. Well, I felt like there was a trend there for a while. There was. I'm getting the last one. Still, still, that's pretty good. What the, what the, what the F? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how does that add? Like, where's the equation that ends up in that outcome? Devin Witherspoon must play in this game on national TV and he must make a big play. And and Jalen Carter has to have his pants pulled down somehow, uh, and that would be the way that this this season needs to take a turn. And we need to get Devin Witherspoon a defensive player of the year. Okay, Nathan, um, what are your thoughts about this team, this Eagles team? So all year, I feel like we've been uh, we we uh, and I don't just mean us; I mean kind of people generally. Um, I don't think we pay enough attention to the teams that these opponents have played recently. Um, we were all going nuts about the Niners at the start of the year, and obviously the Niners are extremely good. Um, but like they were coming off a stretch where they were, they'd played like four really bad teams. I don't remember what it was anymore, and they looked like unbelievable. And then I think right after that, they lost a couple games in a row. Um, we all thought that surely. Seattle would lose like 40 to seven against the Cowboys and there's no chance because the Cowboys were the hottest team on planet earth. And again, Cowboys are a good team. Um, they just beat up on, on the Eagles and everything, but they, they were coming off a stretch of games where they were playing a bunch of bad teams. Uh, now everyone's like, even though the Seahawks team, we just talked about how they look like they're in free fall and everyone wants to kill each other in the locker room and all this stuff. And Pete's, you know, screaming at Mike Salk on podcasts, 
uh, or radio shows or whatever. Now we all are kind of like, well, I, I think I think Seattle can run the table. I think Seattle can can beat this Eagles team because the Eagles are coming off these games where they're playing like the Cowboys a couple times, the Niners, um, a couple of Bills, Chiefs. Like they've been on the stretch of really tough teams, and yeah, they look human. Um, I haven't watched as many. I've watched a couple Eagles games, uh, and the one that I watched the most of was the very first game of the year, I think, against the Patriots, where they definitely had that Jekyll and Hyde. They went up like 17 points or something like that right away, and then it was like, oh god, they're gonna lose, and they had to eke it out, right? Um, so you know, this doesn't seem like an infallible team, um, by any stretch, but I do think that their stock is unreasonably low right now based off of some really tough teams that they've, they've played. Are you talking about when Zach Wilson beat them? Is that the one you're talking about? No, that was, that was different. That was later. <laughs> Just give me your shit. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, yes, Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, Cowboys rough stretch um i think it is worth noting they got the the, their doors blown off the last two games and they lost worse to both of those teams than the seahawks did um and i think they looked worse losing to those teams than the seahawks did the last two games not even close so i i can't say i can explain exactly why with the talent that they've got especially on the defensive line and I have not watched Darius Slay and Bradbury play as much this year, but Philly fans have decided these two are the biggest bums around. Like it wasn't just more than last year that they were two of the like most elite cornerback duos in the league, and they're struggling um, in coverage. So I don't think the, the Eagles are bad. I don't think they're bad. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts – knee injury is probably a bigger deal than we know and i think it's it, his ability to to actually create on the ground and his lack thereof now or early le- less of that i think that's a pretty big factor um i, I just see a team that i see a team that has some crazy flaws in how they've played defensively um and I think that if Gino's able to play, and I know everyone's like, oh my God, stop saying stuff about Gino. I think if Gino is able to play, I think they have a pretty good shot at winning this game. I think Devin Witherspoon's also pretty important. You know, stupidest, most captain obvious thing to say. I still think he's the best player on the team. And when he's not out there, guess what? Your team's not as good. Um, I think both of those guys may not play. Don't know. But, um, I like the Seahawks chances in this game and I don't like the Seahawks team, the way it's playing that much or like, the, like I, that's, I don't like the Seahawks. <laughs> I, I don't that's like, that's why we do this podcast. I mean, I, I, there, there are Seahawks teams that I like more than others. This, <laughs> this is not one of my favorites right now. I think Pete's right there with you. Uh, but you know, to your point, like, or to, to the Witherspoon comment and to, you know, we, I I think I said earlier, like, Hey, Pete was just, you know, calling guys out by name in that, uh, interview with Salk. He also called out Witherspoon by name, but in a extremely positive way. You know, he said, this game looks very different if Witherspoon plays the whole game and as uh, like palpable as his dislike and frustration was, uh, with some of these other guys, 
like he went into very proud papa moment with uh talking about how big a deal losing spoon was so if they can get him back uh yeah i think i think that's that's huge how how does how do the eagles defense how's the Eagles defense rank dead last 32nd in the nfl and third down defense with that defensive line and with that talent like dead like we've been frustrated with the seahawks the seahawks are like seahawks are 30th they're they're like two above the eagles as bad as the seahawks defense is who's in between i don't know i couldn't tell you <laughs> i could look it up but i don't know they're 30th in the nfl in defending passer rating 31st in interception rate they're 28th in points allowed they're 30th in red zone defense like you know what's going to happen in this game what's going to happen they are going to win. They're going to score like 44 points. Uh, and it's going to be with Drew Locke out there. And they're going to simultaneously help the 49ers win a Super Bowl and saddle us with Drew Locke discourse for an entire offseason. Oh, Nathan. God damn it. <laughs> that would be awful. That was dark. That was good. That would be awful. Gonna yeah. be great Monday night. Uh if if we can get something where like then Shane Waldron gets hired somewhere, maybe it's worth it. I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not anti Shane Waldron. I don't know if we want to talk about it, but I think there's too much Shane Waldron hate. I I, I probably with you. I, I I don't like hate Shane Waldron. I I think that he's not great. I think he's not elite. I think he's like he's like the Seahawks. He's like. A little bit better than average, probably. Um, all right, let's do predictions. Uh, Jeff, let's start with you. What is the score of this game going to be? Well, I'd like to know if Gino and Witherspoon are playing. I'll, I'll let you. I'll. Uh, we'll do. We'll do this. You guys have variable predictions. You can say if this guy's playing, this is going to be the score. If they're not, but but don't make it too complicated. Fair. I'll just assume they're both going to play right now. That's how Pete said it last week. I think this is going to be a close game. I think watching the Seahawks play Dallas and watching Philly play Dallas, I do feel better about Seattle and maybe this little streak is indicated. But I just can't come back past the fact that I talked about the Seahawks being not a physical team. They're a finesse team. Their best players are receivers and corners. And I look at a team that is – has one of the best offensive lines in the league and should have one of the best defensive lines in the league. And to me, that's a formula of beating this Seahawks team where you do have Daryl Taylor, who's just a liability. And you have some other liabilities with Jamal right now. So I think it's going to be a really close game. I think Philly gets back to their resilient ways and they win this game in the fourth quarter because Seattle can't stop the short yardage place similar to that end of that Rams game. That was so frustrating. So, I think it's going to be a close game, especially if Geno plays, and I really do think this offense could make this really interesting. And if they hit like they did in Dallas, they could blow them out. I don't think they will. I read today that the Eagles haven't beat the Seahawks in 15 years. I think they're 0-7. And I'm picking the Eagles. So they're going to end the streak just like Pete's win streak is going to get – a losing streak is going to get to five. I'll say 31-28 Eagles. All right, Nathan. Um, yeah, I think, I think the offense with Gino shows some life. 
I think it looks pretty similar to the Cowboys game. And I think they lose. Uh, Jeff stole my, stole my score. So I will yeah. say 31-30 Eagles. I think that the Seahawks team has, I've said, has been one of the hardest to predict of any I've seen. Um, offense has been good. Offense has been bad. Defense has been good. Defense has been bad. Defense has mostly been bad. Uh, and for the first time all season, I feel like I've got a strong sense. I think the Seahawks are going to win this game. And I, I don't, I'm not just saying that to troll. I like the way this game sets up for the Seahawks. I think that Pete, I wouldn't be surprised if Pete makes some different personnel changes. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kobe Bryant out there at safety instead of Jamal in certain situations. I wouldn't be surprised if they play Devin Bush more. Like if, if there's just some stuff that they do, that's a little bit different. Um, I think that if uh, this is very much assuming Gino plays, if Gino doesn't play to me that, that they're going to lose period. But I think if Gino plays, I think that they will win this game. Um, I think they have a chance to potentially put up a lot of points and we're going to be looking at ourselves like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, like, how did that just happen? Um, that's my sense. We'll see. We'll see if 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 I've got any connection to this wacko, bizarre team. But that's uh, <laughs> I, I got to go with what I what my gut tells me. And that's what I think is going to happen. So I'm going to say the Seahawks will win this game. I'm going to say 33 to 18. I think it's going to be a, a a bigger win than than you might expect. All right, folks, with that, we are going to say thank you. Please give the show a like. Please click subscribe. Uh, by the way, I'm going to be missing going to a YouTube event on Monday night because I'll be going to this game um, instead. I tried to convince them to change when to do the YouTube uh, event. And I've been to one of these YouTube events before. Let me tell you, I do not fit in at all at these events. It's basically a bunch of like, Gen Z young women uh, with fashion blogs uh, and me, um, but I would have I would have enjoyed going to that. So just know somewhere in Seattle there'll be a YouTube event going on, and I will not be there. I'll be there watching the Seahawks. At some point, I'm trying to convince them to actually rent out a suite and have a YouTube event at a Seahawks game. If that happens, I'll try to get the crew to come along, and we can. Uh, I'll join in on that together. So, uh, as I was saying, give, click subscribe because that helps get more more for the show, more community, all this good stuff. And go to patreoncom hawkblogger where you two can join the Slack channel, ask us questions, and contribute to the charity. At this point, over two hundred sixty thousand uh, dollars, and God knows we need some goodwill here. Um, so. <laughs> Please uh, join us in that. And hopefully everybody has a wonderful rest of your week. We will see you soon. Go Hawks. Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then 
If you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Get you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the tape morning after articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.